All right, well, we are continuing in our Love, Sex, and God series. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 39 and uh, hold your place there, we will uh, look at that text here in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, Last week, I shared with us what we need to do if we have sinned uh, sexually, which which basically comes down to, to repent. Uh, and today I want to help us gain some biblical insight into avoiding sexual sin so that we don't need what we talked about last week. Uh, so, so let's learn how to uh, avoid uh, sexual sin. As I've noted throughout the series, God intends for sex to be a blessing in our lives, but because of sin, because of the fall, sex can either be a blessing Or it can be the cause of great damage and destruction uh, in our lives. When we take this good gift that God has given us and we use it in sinful ways, we open ourselves up to damage and destruction. And the reality is that there is an awful lot of sexual temptation that conspires to try to lead us down that path that ends in damage and destruction. Polls have shown that a whole lot of Christians are giving in to this sexual temptation. Uh, There was a study done in conjunction with the Barna Research Group a few years back that suggested that around a third of Christian men either have been or are currently involved in an extramarital affair, and up to a fourth of Christian women either have been or are currently involved in an extramarital affair. Pornography is widely used by self-professing Christians. This same poll showed that, and you want to hope that maybe this poll just like got a bad sample. You know, like, like the group of people it chose to, to poll was just a bad sampling. But, but I'm afraid that's probably not the case. One poll showed that 73% of Christian men use pornography somewhere between a few times a year and several times a day. And it said that only 3% of Christian men had never used pornography. The women do better, but the numbers are still pretty surprisingly high. This poll said that 33% of Christian women use pornography somewhere between a few times a year up to several times uh, a day. Uh, And it should be noted that the more frequent use among women was a very small percentage. But if you take that from, uh, you know, several times a year or a few times a year up to several times a day, it was 33% of Christian women. And only 13% of Christian women said that they had never used pornography. And of course, those figures don't even account for the lust They can be engaged in without ever having an affair or viewing pornography. The the fantasizing that a woman does as she reads Fifty Shades of Grey. And if a man has read Fifty Shades of Grey, I would really like your your man card turned in. Like, that just shouldn't happen. Uh, Not just because it's sinful, which it is, but just you should. Oh, okay, never mind. Not a planned part of my comments. Okay. (laughs) 
So, so the fantasizing that a woman engages in as she reads Fifty Shades of Grey, or the fantasizing that a man engages in uh, as he takes a second and third look at the woman who walks into the restaurant uh, as he's eating his lunch, and many different scenarios that we uh, could talk about that are uh, sins of the mind. And so with so much temptation and so much potential for damage down the path of sexual sin, We need to not only know what to do when we have sinned, we really need to be better equipped to avoid sexual sin uh, in the first place. And so that's what we want to do today. I want to look at the best case study that I know of in the Bible for avoiding sexual sin. And that is the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife that's found in Genesis 39. So let's go ahead and read that. Uh, I'll read, and you follow along as I do. We're going to read the entire uh, 39th chapter. And then we'll see what we can find from this story that will help us in avoiding sexual sin. I think it'll be on the screen today. uh, And here's what it says. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
The first thing that I want you to note about this story of Joseph is how events were conspiring to set Joseph up to sin, to make him vulnerable to sin. I mean, if anybody has ever been set up to give in to temptation, I believe that Joseph was. He was in Egypt because his brothers, his brothers had sold him into slavery. He had been abandoned by the people who should have loved him and cared for him and protected him. And now he was in a foreign country away from his father who did love him and all alone. He was the property of another person owned by this man named Potiphar. One of the greatest setups for sin. One of the times that we are the most vulnerable to sin, including a sexual sin, is when life is not going well for us. When someone who should have loved us has betrayed us, when we're lonely, when we're feeling abandoned, when we don't feel appreciated, when life is thrown at us, something that is so difficult that we long for just a little break from the trouble, just a little relief from the pain. When life is hard, we become convinced that we need an outlet, we need a release, we need at least a little escape for a little while. The trouble Joseph had been through is a perfect setup for rationalizations like this. I just need to have a little fun. I deserve to have something good happen in my life for a change. I deserve to get what I want for a change. And when you have those kind of thoughts, if you are having those kind of thoughts in your life now, it is a clue that you are vulnerable to sin. It is a clue that you are vulnerable to sexual sin. But that wasn't the only way that Joseph was set up to sin. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he, Potiphar, put him, Joseph, in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Joseph might have been a slave, but he was a very successful slave, and so he became very favored. Everything Joseph did prospered. The text makes that very Clear. Potiphar's house prospered because of Joseph. Success has a way of being very attractive to people. Success is appealing. And Joseph's success, I believe, was noted by Potiphar's wife and was appealing to Potiphar's wife. Not only do I believe that his success was appealing, but verse 6 specifically tells us that Joseph was a well-built and handsome man, another set up for sin. Certainly sexual sin is not confined to the well-built and handsome or the well-built and beautiful, but physical attractiveness does seem to make sexual sin more easily available for such people. And Joseph was a person who was physically attractive, which Potiphar's wife took note of. So attracted to his success, attracted to him physically, Potiphar's wife progressed 
from lusting after him secretly to openly pursuing him. She was a very direct woman. Verse 7 uh, tells us that. There wasn't any, uh, at least it's not reported. You know, maybe it happened, but the, the record we have reveals her to be a stunningly direct woman. There was no, hey, Joey, how about you and I take a walk in the garden? There was nothing like, like that. It was a much more direct approach. Come to bed with me. And when Joseph declined, she didn't accept his answer. Instead, verse 10 tells us that she spoke to Joseph day after day. Day after day. She invited him to come to bed with her, to have sex with her. You cannot get more of a setup for sin than Joseph's circumstances here. He is alone and in difficult circumstances. He is successful and attractive, and he has a persistent temptress, a persistent tempter. Don't underestimate the power of any one of those things to set a person up for sin. But you put them all together, and you have a combination of factors that are setting Joseph up big time to fail sexually. And understanding that humans have always been pretty similar in some basic ways, definitely don't underestimate the temptation for a man of a woman every day, not subtly, but very directly asking him to have sex with her. For high percentages of women, a man doing that would be creepy. But for high percentages of unredeemed men or men not surrendering to Jesus, not so creepy. And this is what Joseph was facing. Joseph had been almost perfectly set up to sin sexually, and yet he doesn't. How does he resist the temptation to sin with all that is stacked against him? How does he remain faithful? How does he avoid sexual sin even though he has this perfect, uh, he, he's been perfectly uh, set up? That, that he does not sin in spite of all of this ought to make us really interested in learning from his story what we can about avoiding sexual sin. And that's what I hope to help us uh, see today. I, I want us to see how Joseph did this. And as we see how he did it, we learn how uh, we can do it. So for just a few minutes, uh, hopefully just a few minutes, let's cover seven things we learn about how Joseph avoided sexual sin and how we can as well. The first thing I believe helped Joseph avoid sinning uh, isn't specifically mentioned in our text. And honestly, it's a, it's a bit of speculation on my part, but I think it very likely played a role. I think it's a very reasonable speculation, and so I think it's a solid application of the story. Joseph avoided sexual sin because he remembered God's call on his life and God's purpose for his life. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you remember that there was a day that the Lord gave Joseph some dreams, 
In one dream, he and his brothers were, uh, were binding sheaves in the field, sheaves of grain, and his sheaf rose up and stood tall, and all of his brother's sheaves bowed down to his. Another dream Joseph had uh, was that the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed down to him. Of course, when he kind of excitedly reported this dream to his brothers, they interpreted rightly as the sun and the moon representing his mother and father and the 11 stars representing him. And of course, that was part of what led them on a path of eventually selling him into slavery. The meaning of the dreams and the fallout from the dreams goes beyond our purposes today. But what is important to note here is that Joseph had some God-given dreams, He believed that he had a God-given destiny to fulfill. And verse 2 lets us know that even though Joseph was alone and a slave, quote, the Lord was with him. He had an active, ongoing relationship with God. And I believe that because of this active, ongoing relationship with God, it is a certainty that Joseph never forgot God's call on his life, never forgot those dreams that God had given him. And he lived, no matter his circumstances, with the conviction that God had a plan and a purpose for his life, that God had a destiny that he needed to fulfill, and Joseph intended to fulfill it. And Joseph was not willing to risk his God-given destiny for sex with his boss's wife. Joseph was meant to do something for God. Having sex with a boss's wife was beneath someone called by God and commissioned to fulfill God's purposes. Likewise, when we're confronted with sexual temptation, we need to remember God's call on our lives. We need to remember God's purpose for our lives. Every single one of us who have received Christ as Savior and Lord have this privileged position called ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to make disciples of all people. We are called to bear witness to the gospel, to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to proclaim the salvation that is available in Christ to a world that is lost and without hope apart from Christ, apart from that message. We have a great calling. We have a great purpose. We are in a privileged position. We have a God-given destiny that we're meant to fulfill. And sexual sin is beneath the dignity of someone who is called and commissioned by God for such great purposes. Joseph avoided sexual sin, and we can too, by remembering God's call and God's purpose for our lives. Look at verse 8. In response to Potiphar's wife's advance, Joseph says this, With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. The second way Joseph avoided sexual sin was that he respected the trust that had been placed in him. 
Potiphar trusted him and he did not want to violate that trust. When we face sexual sin, we need to remember and respect all of the trust that has been placed in us. A lot of trust is placed in each one of us not to sin sexually. Your spouse has placed trust in you that you will not sin sexually. Your kids, even though they may never have a conscious thought about this, they have invested trust in you. They are trusting that you're not going to do something that's going to divide and destroy their stable home life. Those of you who are blessed to have godly parents, they are trusting you to live according to the faith and the values that they raised you with, to honor the values of your faith. And when you're part of a church family, there is trust that your church family invests in you to honor the commitments of your covenant community. Each of us has a lot of trust placed in us by a lot of people. A lot of people are invested in our not giving in to sexual temptation. And so like Joseph, we can can be strengthened in our resolve to resist sexual temptation by remembering and respecting the trust that's been placed in us. The next point is a similar one. Joseph avoided sexual sin because he thought about others instead of himself. He thought about Potiphar. Potiphar had been good to him. How could he do such such a thing to someone who had been good to him? The selfishness of sexual sin, if you really think about it, is breathtaking. It really is breathtaking. Think of all the people that we have to be willing to disregard in order to sin sexually. The people that we have to choose to dismiss their concerns for what is best for us in our warped way of thinking in order to get what we want. Let's just take the case of adultery. Sexual sin that violates a marriage covenant. We have to disregard our spouse to do that. If we are engaged with someone else who is married, we then have to disregard that person's spouse. We have to disregard our children to engage in adultery. And if the other person is married and has kids, we have to disregard their kids. And because a lot of married people seem to engage in adultery together, what ends up happening oftentimes is that we are disregarding both our spouse and someone else's spouse, both our children and someone else's children. In other words, if we would stop for just a minute and think, which we can do, because the idea that sexual sin just jumps on us without us being able to think through it and decide is a lie. Doesn't happen that way. It's always a decision. You're always on a path that ends there. It never just jumps out from behind a bush and overtakes you. It's not like that. And and, and so if we thought of the people involved and what was best for them, we would not do it. But we choose not to. 
we only think of ourselves. Of course, if we actually thought of ourselves the way we should, we still wouldn't do it because we would realize it's not a good thing for us either. But we don't think right. So we disregard everybody to make what we want in the moment okay. But Joseph wasn't like that. He thought of others who would be impacted if he gave in to Potiphar's wife instead of only thinking selfishly. You say, Brian, I'm not married. I I don't have quite the same incentive as it relates to thinking of others. As long as I don't involve myself with someone that's married, like all of your examples don't really apply to me, but actually you do have people to think about. If you think about your future spouse, in spite of the permissiveness of our culture, your future spouse especially if God blesses you with a spouse who loves him, they are going to be so happy if they don't have to work through your sexual history in your relationship. You do have other people to think about. They're going to be so troubled if there is a whole string of sexual partners that they have to deal with in order to love you the future spouse of the person that you're tempted to sin with is someone else to think about. Not just your future spouse, but that person's future spouse. They don't want to have to hear about you before they can love that person. There's a lot of people to think about. If we thought of anybody other than ourselves, we would not do it. Here's another way Joseph avoided sexual sin, the last part of verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph avoided sexual sin because he saw sexual sin as a wicked thing and he saw it as being against God. We talked about this a lot last week as we looked at David's psalm of repentance. It seems as though the Bible wants to drive home this point. That God sees sexual sin as a wicked, evil thing. And sexual sin is always against God. If you could devise a sexual sin that did not wrong another human being, which you can't, but if you could you would still wrong God by sinning sexually. Of all of the people we should consider when tempted sexually, of all of the people that we should not want to betray by such selfish actions, more than anyone, we should be concerned about sinning against God. He's given us life. He's given us salvation Those of us who trust in Christ, he's given us eternal life. He has forgiven our sins. He's given the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to not do these things. That God sees sin as wicked and that sexual sin is always against God should be a powerful restraint in our fight against sexual temptation. Look at verse 7. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, verse 8, but he refused. 
Joseph avoided sexual sin by flatly rejecting the proposal of Potiphar's wife. He did not say things like this, which is what many people say and then end up having sex with somebody they shouldn't. He didn't say things like this. Oh, Potiphar's wife, I'm really flattered that you're interested in me that way. He didn't say, oh, believe me, I would love to, but I can't. He didn't say, give me some time to think about it. I'll let you know tomorrow. He didn't do any of that. He simply refused. No. No. We avoid sexual sin by determining our answer to such opportunities ahead of time, determining that the answer is no. No chatting about it. No letting the other person down easy. Just no. Not going to do it. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He did his best within the limitations that were placed on him as a slave to avoid the source of his temptation. Not only would he not sleep with her, he wouldn't allow himself to be with her at all. He tried his best to avoid her. You, you can imagine this picture as Joseph, you know, he's a slave, like he's owned by these people. And so he's working and she calls out to him and he's like scurrying off to some other part of the estate to stay away from her. Joseph avoided sexual sin by avoiding the source of his temptation And we can avoid sexual sin as we choose to avoid the source of our temptation. The guy hits on you at work, ladies. He makes his intentions clear. He must now be avoided. You don't say to a guy who has made such intentions known, well, we can't have that type of relationship, but we can be friends. We can go to lunch occasionally, but it won't go past lunch. Can't do that. The woman at work, men, who uh, signals her intentions to you, she cannot be your pal. You cannot go to lunch with her. You cannot meet her in the employee break room and like eat chips together and talk about each other's spouses. You can't work her through her trouble with her husband. You can't do that. If there's a waiter or waitress at your favorite restaurant or a trainer at your gym that becomes a source of temptation for you, then you can't eat at that restaurant anymore. You can't go to that gym anymore. None of us are strong enough when it comes to sexual sin to take the approach that says, I just have to face this head on and defeat it. That's not what you do with sexual sin. With sexual sin, if you take that approach, you will sin. You say, I'm stronger than that. No, you're not. You aren't. You have fooled yourself if you think you're stronger than that. With sexual sin, you do not face it head on. You avoid it. Now, it might be helpful here to try to 
to walk through this kind of practically and give some, you know, real life examples and terminology is kind of hard here, but maybe a guide would be helpful for when uh, what I might call a low-level temptation becomes a temptation that has to be uh, avoided. So let me see if I can, can do this without confusing us all too much. Uh, and, and I'm indebted for this thought um, to Rich Nathan, the pastor of Vineyard Columbus. So he shared this story. Men, you are uh, walking through the grocery store. And headed your way is what, in your opinion, is a stunningly beautiful woman. She is the picture of perfection to you. You notice her beauty. You are tempted to look on her inappropriately, but instead you recognize she's beautiful, but then you just go on about your business. You have not sinned. And while you faced some initial idea, some, some temptation, some low-level temptation, you took control of it before it grew into any real concern or real threat. Same scenario. Only this time, instead of recognizing her beauty and going on about your business, you allow yourself to notice her inappropriately, and then you quickly circle around the aisle for the opportunity at another look. This has now become a significant temptation, And at this point, you actually have already committed the sin of lust. You know your waiter is handsome, ladies, or your waitress is beautiful men. You also know that there seems to be a very easy rapport between you. You recognize this. Something in you likes this. But you quickly take control of your thought and you move on. You have not sinned. You you have not entertained temptation. You are not in need, in my opinion, of never eating at that restaurant again. But if the next time you are looking for a restaurant to eat out, you choose that restaurant not because they have the best hot dogs in town, not because their lasagna is special, which restaurants have both hot dogs and lasagna, I don't know, Uh, but you choose that restaurant Because you remember your attraction to that server. You remember the easy rapport that existed between you. You say, well, Brian, I just just want good service, you know. Uh, A good server is hard to find. A friendly server is hard to find. No. No, you notice the rapport and you're going to the restaurant because of your attraction and because you remember this rapport. Now you're in a situation where avoidance becomes necessary. Joseph avoided sexual sin by avoiding the source of his temptation, and we can too. When it comes to sexual sin, we should never try to prove how strong we are. We must instead remember how weak we are and avoid the temptation. And that leads to the final thing Joseph did to avoid sexual sin. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph avoided sexual sin because he was willing to flee sexual sin. So convinced was Joseph of the damage and destruction that sexual sin would cause that he literally 
fled from her. He ran from her. I mean, in the movies, that would get a guy laughed at. I, I have this picture of him, of him running that I'd like to imitate, but I can't do it. I can't do it. But, but I picture it as like a frantic thing. Like he realizes this is so dangerous. I, I don't care what I look like. I just have to get out of here. I mean, in the movies, even a guy or a woman who want to do the right thing, they won't run. They stay and explain why this can't happen, why, why, why they just can't allow themselves to do this, but not Joseph. Because Joseph knew that you cannot play around with sexual sin. You can't stay close to sexual t- temptation. And so undignified, though it may have been, though it may not have been the macho thing to do, he ran. He avoided sexual sin by fleeing sexual sin. It may not be the stuff of movies. It may not be macho. It may not be sophisticated, but it is faithful. And that's what Joseph was concerned with. So this is how Joseph avoided sexual sin and how we can too. By remembering God's call and purpose for our lives. By respecting the trust that has been placed in us by God and a bunch of other people. By thinking of others instead of ourselves. By seeing sexual sin as it really is wicked and against God. By rejecting sexual opportunities flatly. By avoiding sources of temptation. And when all else fails, by running away like a scared little girl. Men. And women, but the scared little girl thing wasn't. That was meant for the men. There's certainly more that could be said. There are certainly other insights that we could gain from other places in Scripture. But these are really good and important things that will go a long, long way in helping us avoid sexual sin and the damage and destruction that always accompanies sexual sin. Always. I cannot see the clock. What time is it? Let's stand. There's another section of the sermon, but I don't have time to preach it. It basically amounted to this. Okay, I will preach it. I'm just giving, <laughs> just giving you hope. It basically amounts to this. You do right. You think the story's going to end up great, don't you? Not for Joseph. He was lied about. He was thrown in prison. Sometimes when you do right, bad stuff still rains down on you. Sometimes doing right actually brings the bad stuff on you. But it's okay. He was concerned with faithfulness. He was concerned with doing God's will, fulfilling God's purpose for his life. And here's the thing. Even in prison, the text tells us that God was with him. And this is what Joseph had learned. He had learned that no matter his circumstance, no matter how bad life was, God was still with him. And so he was going to be okay. And here's the other thing. 
God was with Joseph, and Joseph was such a faithful guy that it wasn't long before, even in that horrible circumstance, Joseph was in charge of the whole thing. Isn't that just amazing? I think most of us, we relate more to David, but I really want to be like Joseph. Really want to be like Joseph. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it deals with the real issues of life, the things that we all face on a daily basis, the earthy things. We thank you, God, that it does that, that it gives us real solid counsel on how to live life in a way that's pleasing to you. God, we thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. And as we learn things like we learn from Joseph today, that then your Holy Spirit empowers us as we cooperate with you to walk out these things. We thank you for your spirit. Ask God that your spirit would just grow bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger in each one of us. And that we would apply each of these things that we learned today to our own lives and that we would live lives that are sexually faithful to you and to the people who trust us. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.